When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Sarah and I have talked many times about our desire to age as gracefully as possible, and skincare is a huge piece of that. I spend a lot of time and money thinking about my skin, and I have added Ritual to my routine, which just gives me a lot of comfort. Ritual is here for us. They have created a wrinkle support skin supplement and conducted clinical studies, so we know it's working. They're taking the guesswork out of skincare. Ritual Hyacera is one of several Ritual products that I love. I take the daily multivitamin, I take a probiotic, and Hyacera is that once daily skincare supplement that is clinically proven to reduce wrinkles and fine lines and increase skin smoothness in 90 days. I recently met a friend for the first time in person as opposed to online. And we were discussing the fact that I am 43 and she said, I cannot believe how young you look. And I thought, thank you, Ritual, for that. Start Hyacera to help minimize wrinkles without compromising on clean science. Hyacera from Ritual is a clinically proven skin supplement you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash pantsuit. Start Ritual or add Hyacera to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash pantsuit for 25% off. We could have strong emotional reactions to Amazon and still use Amazon. I say that from personal experience. Right, right. <laughs> this is Sarah. This is Beth. You're listening to Pantsuit Politics, the home of grace-filled political conversations. Happy Friday, everyone. We have a lot to cover today. We're going to talk just briefly about an update on impeachment because we've spent a lot of time there, a little other news catch up. But we're going to focus today on two things that are, we hope, pretty relevant to your life right now. The first thing is Amazon and the constant dilemma that Amazon presents in our lives and policy-wise and in how we think about the future. And we're going to end the show by sharing some of your holiday family political discussion stories, which are so encouraging and I hope set us up for December holiday gatherings as well. Before we get started, we have two quick pieces of business. One, for our bonus episode on Patreon this month, we are going to host another evening of Ask Us Anything on Tuesday night, December the 
10th at 7 o'clock Central Time. We will be on Patreon using Crowdcast to gather live with everybody at answer your questions you've submitted beforehand. You can ask questions live that night. We had so much fun on the Thank You Patrons night we did it. We've decided to do it again. Also on Patreon, you can get on a post open to everyone and vote for your favorite episode of the year. We're going to rebroadcast the winner at the end of this month. So click the link in the show notes and vote for your favorite episode. We want to take a second to light a candle for our friends in Samoa, where public services have been shut down for two days because of a measles outbreak that has killed 60 people and infected thousands. It's so bad that they've asked people to hang red like rags and ribbons outside of their home to let folks giving vaccinations know who's been unvaccinated. And I think this is such an important story, not only because that is a dramatic impact. Mm -hmm. Also, people in the United States get our hackles up about vaccinations often. And to me, it is really important to look around the world at what happens when vaccinations are low to recognize what the choice really looks like. And so thinking about those people, hope that this outbreak gets controlled quickly and that no one else loses their life to measles. And just consider this kind of information when you're talking with others about vaccines. Another story out there in the world that we wanted to draw attention to is that the publisher Macmillan has instituted a new change in their ebook licensing. And you're like, why are y'all talking about this? Well, it's a big deal, especially here in the state of Kentucky, because under the new model, a library can purchase one copy, one Upon release of a new title and ebook format for $30, after which the publisher will impose an eight week embargo on additional copies of that title. What this means is that there would only be a one copy of this title on ebook that can be checked out among 60,000 active users across the state of Kentucky for eight weeks. So the Kentucky Library Consortium is boycotting Macmillan. And we wanted to support them here at Pantsuit Politics. I'm a huge user of Kentucky Libraries Unbound. I love getting ebooks through the library. I understand that this is a new model and we'll have to figure out how to best serve both the industry and libraries. But libraries are a part of the industry and to treat them with this level of disrespect to assume that they would use one copy for 60,000 users is outrageous. And so we just wanted to say... We see you, McMillan, and that's some seriously bad behavior. We use Kentucky Libraries Unbound constantly, too. My daughter especially uses it. And that initial eight-week period, it's hard for me to understand how that serves the industry either. Because when a book first comes out and the interest is high, you want lots and lots of people reading and talking about that book. Mm -hmm. And I understand Mm -hmm. that those, those people reading it through something like a library are not purchasing copies, but they're still telling other people about the book. And that's what you want in that period. So this makes no sense to me all around. And I am so happy that librarians alerted us to this issue so that we could talk about it here. Listen, I got that email. I got that banner ad on my Kentucky Libraries Unbound. I was like, what the heck? Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't mind waiting. I don't mind waiting. I mean, I've waited weeks, months for a book before, but that's like, that's a whole nother level. We have learned that libraries are 
some of the most important places and librarians some of the most important resources Mm -hmm. for a new book. So this just, as a business decision, I don't get it. And I think socially, the importance of libraries cannot be overstated. If you want more future book purchasers, you know, kids and libraries, I could go on for ages about how important Mm -hmm. this is. So Godspeed, Kentucky Libraries Unbound, and everybody else pushing back against this. The other big news this week we wanted to mention is that Senator Kamala Harris has dropped out of the presidential race. She, despite making the stage for the Democratic debate, said that they did not have the financial resources to continue the campaign. There are approximately three million think pieces about what this means for her and what this means about the Democratic primary if you are interested (laughs) in reading an encyclopedic worth of thought on this newest development. How shocking that there is a voyeuristic interest in the campaign of a black woman candidate, which is something that we don't see often. Mm -hmm. We talked about this on The Nightly Nuance on Thursday evening. Senator Harris makes me really proud of what women's leadership looks like. She makes me really proud of what good lawyers can do. She's not a person I would have voted for in this primary because of her views on executive power, which differ so significantly from mine. And that's not a policy disagreement. That goes to the job itself. But I think she is a very important voice in our politics and really in our culture, because if I watch her and feel so inspired, and I remember when I first showed Jane little clips of all the women running for president, she was riveted by Kamala Harris. She zeroed right in on, I want her to be the president. And so I just think she's going to continue to be a major player in U.S. politics. And I think she is going to crush it during the impeachment trial for the Democrats in the Senate. Speaking of the impeachment trial, as we record on Thursday, Nancy Pelosi has officially asked the House Judiciary Committee to begin drafting articles of impeachment. We got a bit of a preview about what those articles might look like after testimony on Wednesday from three law professors selected by the Democratic Party and Democratic members of the committee and one selected by the Republican members of the committee. So what I think is really interesting is... For people obsessed with politics, this felt like a nothing burger. But I feel like I owe an apology to the House Judiciary Committee because after watching the coverage and sort of seeing it through the eyes of some of my friends and community members, I think it I think it was a, a good call, actually. I think it was really important to have these legal experts up there saying, this is what their founding fathers meant about impeachment. It gives some, it's sort of, leans into the idea that this is a thing that Americans take seriously and let's make sure we understand the history and the importance of what we're doing. And I honestly can't believe the best response that the Republican Party had was, well, yeah, it was the especially the expert. It's a really bad call, but y'all are going too fast. I just, I don't know. I feel like it was a pretty good day overall. I'm still not sure. I don't completely understand what capacity these professors were testifying in. They're not fact witnesses. They are experts, I guess, on the Constitution. But it's hard to say that anybody can be an expert on impeachment because it's just not something we've done enough to have expertise. And I struggle with how you can be a legal expert on what is an inherently political process. Mm -hmm. When you talk about what's impeachable, it ultimately is just what Congress decides is impeachable. The Supreme Court is not going to review an impeachment decision, I don't think. I would be shocked if that happened. And so... 
I get what they were trying to do. I do think that it played out pretty favorably for the Democrats mm-hmm. on the committee. I still am not convinced that it was a necessary or particularly wise use of time in this process. I thought that Professor Feldman made the most compelling points about the abuse of power at issue here and how that squares with what the framers envision. I thought Professor Turley, who was the Republican's witness, had some relevant points with respect to the Mueller investigation. So he talked about how you should wait for the fight over subpoenas to play out in the courts before you impeach for obstruction of justice. And I think that's probably correct. I don't think that you should subpoena a witness from the executive branch. That person doesn't show up and you immediately say, well, we're going to impeach the president for obstructing justice. I think there's something different going on here because of the volume of people who aren't showing up and how some of those aren't close calls. You know, I think the president's lawyer is probably the closest call and they've lost on that in court. But I get what he was saying as to the articles of impeachment that could be drafted about obstruction of justice. I'm with him. I do not agree with his analysis about the evidence being insufficient with respect Mm -hmm. to the Ukraine call. Here's the thing. Back to your point about it's an inherently political process. I understand that. I understand that that is definitely the analysis from pundits. And despite the fact (laughs) that I've been reading a lot about how we might have a little bit too much democracy in our process right now, I actually think the instinct of the American people who seem to believe or desire a more legal process is probably right. And I do think that bringing the legal experts to talk about not necessarily like I don't really feel like they were what they were doing was legal analysis and sort of the most traditional sense of the word. And that I think so much of it was history, which we all know is a real way, a really great way to introduce me into the conversation to pique my curiosity and interest. And so I think the way they really leaned into why do we have this? Why did the founding fathers set up this process? What were they concerned about? What were they looking at? Was really good and helpful and and smart and something that I think will appeal to sort of the moderate middle of the American public who think this is a big deal and shouldn't just be a political exercise. So sort of leaning into the idea of there is history and legal foundations behind this process. So let's make sure we're living up to them. I don't know. I think that's I think that's really, really important. I hope that you're right about that. I've been doing this thought experiment. What if because I'm a process person, right? The thing that you just said really appeals to me. And this idea of we talk to all the witnesses, we build the case, we go through the hearings. That is how I am wired. But I've been thinking about what would it have been like? And I'm not trying to Monday morning quarterback in any way. I have total grace for everyone in government who has dealt a terrible no-win for themselves or the country situation. So this is not criticism of anyone. It's just an experiment. What would it have been like if the whistleblower complaint comes in, the call memorandum comes out? Because for me, everything comes down to that July 25th phone call. The rest of it's really interesting. But when I think about 
the abuse of power that I believe is impeachable here, it really comes down to that conversation. The president's own words to the president of Ukraine tying these things together. So what if after that call memorandum came out, the Democrats just said, we are writing articles of impeachment today. And we are going to send this to trial in the Senate, where we're sure more evidence will come out. But this on its face is an abuse of power. And yes, yes, Republicans, we have been open to impeaching this president for a long time because we believe he's dangerous. And this call demonstrates that. This call demonstrates that he is treating congressionally appropriated funds to aid an ally in a war as his personal checking account that he can use to pressure people to do whatever he wants, like he's done throughout his career. And we think the American people have seen enough. And we're moving forward from here. I wonder if that would have been cleaner, clearer, if the public would hear that. I worry sometimes that the process, the way it unfolds, just convinces everybody that everything is so partisan. I think it's not great that even with legal experts, you have sort of Well, the Republican says no, and the Democrats say yes, even though if you really listen to the Republican, uh, it it was more interesting than that. Um, I don't know. I've just been kind of thinking about different scenarios and where does the process and that sense of history and how things should unfold serve us? And where does it kind of get in the way of us thinking about what is really going on here and what's really important? Ultimately, because... The American people painting with a very broad brush here take impeachment so seriously. I think a quick process like that would have felt more partisan. And more importantly, they just wouldn't have had time to process it. For better or for worse, people are busy um, and people are humans and it's the holiday season and there's a lot going on. And we have to give people time, even in a mass media environment to absorb what's going on and to process it. And I just don't know if they they barely had time this way. I definitely don't think they would have had time had they acted solely on the call memorandum. I think the most important thing that happened on Thursday as the speaker made this announcement was what almost didn't happen after her regular press conference. She was on her way off the stage and a reporter yells at her, do you hate the president? And she got fired up. Why don't we go ahead and share the audio with you guys so you can hear what happened? Good morning. I'm Chris Jansen here on a very busy day at MSNBC. We don't hate anybody, not anybody in the world. So don't don't accuse me. I did not accuse. You did. I asked a question. Representative Collins yesterday suggested that the Democrats are doing this simply because they don't like the guy. I think the president is a coward when it comes to helping uh, our, our kids who are afraid of gun violence. I think he is cruel when he doesn't deal with the, the helping our dreamers, of which we're very proud. I think he's in denial about the constitu- about the uh, climate crisis. However, that's about the election. 
This is about the elect. Take it up in the elect. This is about the Constitution of the United States and the facts that lead to the president's violation of his oath of office. And as a Catholic, I resent your using the word hate in a sentence that addresses me. I don't hate anyone. I was raised in a way that is full, a heart full of love and always prayed for the president. And I still pray for the president. I pray for the president all the time. So don't mess with me when it comes to words like that. I also love this moment. And you know what I keep thinking about in relationship to this moment is the conversation between Justin Trudeau, Emmanuel Macron, and Boris Johnson at the NATO reception that was caught on a live mic where they were clearly laughing at the president. And the only thing that I like that makes me think of both of these scenarios is I really just feel like everybody looks so human and we really need that right now. (laughs) I think we really need to be reminded that even the most highly practiced and experienced and seasoned politician is a human being and seeing them in a really human moment of sort of like scolding and being like, oh, no, I don't say I hate people. Or sharing like a, oh, my God, that person, that coworker, oh, my gosh, <laughs> among world leaders. I don't know. I just I kind of needed it. I think it's really wise of the speaker. She prefaced her remarks on the drafting of the articles of impeachment with a pretty lengthy discussion of the Declaration of Independence and why we have a country, to your point about grounding everything historically, Sarah, and pointing out what a big deal this is. I thought she framed her remarks this morning really well. And then she talked about how she is sadly making this announcement, that she's doing it prayerfully, that she's doing it with a sense of love of the country. And so to follow that framing of the announcement with this moment, I think it showed that she genuinely is trying to communicate to Americans, this is about something bigger and more important and deeper than partisanship. And do not think of the Democratic Party as godless, soulless, hate the president. You know, it's she's she's just really getting in front of the narrative that is almost all the GOP has right now in defense of yep. the president. Yep. And she's doing it in a way that I think seems very genuine. I know that there are folks in the country who are so practiced at hating Nancy Pelosi that they won't be able to hear it. But for the section of America that is not particularly political, I think this was a real gift to her, that question from the reporter, because she responded perfectly. We'll take a quick break and come back and talk about Amazon and then end with your Thanksgiving stories. We are special breakfast people here at Pantsu Politics, but not just when Beth and I are on the road. The truth is I want something warm from the oven every Saturday morning and Sunday morning. It's just the truth. It makes it feel special, makes it feel exciting. I don't want to work at it. So the first time I ever saw Wild Grain which is bake from frozen subscription box for sourdough breads, fresh pastas, and artisanal pastries. I was obsessed. You guys, I've been a member for over a year. It's amazing. It's so easy. Every item bakes from frozen in 25 minutes or less. No thawing required. You can fully customize your wild grain box. You can choose any combination of breads, pastas, pastries. You can even build a box of only breads, only pastas, or only pastries if you'd like. And for a limited time, you can get $30 off the first box, plus free croissants in every box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit to start your subscription. 
Sometimes I make one single croissant just for me because I want to feel special. And they're so good. You heard me. Free croissants in every box. And $30 off your first box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. That's wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. Or you can use promo code pantsuit at checkout. Looking for the perfect gift to celebrate the moms in your life? Aura frames are beautiful, Wi-Fi connected digital picture frames that allow you to share and display unlimited photos. It's super easy to upload and share photos via the Aura app. And if you're giving an Aura as a gift, you can even personalize the frame with preloaded photos and memories. You guys, I love my Aura frames. I have one in my office. I have one in my kitchen. I have given one as a housewarming gift. I have given one as Mother's Day, Father's Day. They are the most amazing gifts because this app is a game changer, in my personal opinion, in digital frames. It makes it so, so easy to get the pictures on there and even videos. It plays like you're in Harry Potter, you guys. It is the best. I love mine so much. And right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Listeners can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A Frames.com. Use code Pantsuit at checkout to save. Terms and conditions apply. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Can I get something off my chest? Every day I feel a little pang of sadness. Because I think about Griffin going away to college. Y'all, he's a freshman in high school. This is not healthy or normal. This is why I have it on my list of things to talk to my therapist about. We all carry around these things, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us. Therapy is a safe space to get these things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. If you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapist anytime for no additional charge. You gotta get it off your chest. And you can get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash pantsuit today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash pantsuit. just because Amazon packages arrive at my home regularly, my parents' homes regularly, they sit on my neighbor's porches, not because I see ads for Amazon everywhere I go, or I talk to Alexa, or I fire out Amazon Prime music in my car, but also because of the massive amount of reporting right now about Amazon's impact, both culturally, economically, environmentally. I feel like I think about Amazon four to five times a day. So we thought we might as well take all these thoughts we're having about Amazon and put them all together into one conversation here on Pantsuit Politics. Because if you guys are obsessed with Amazon as much as I'm obsessed with Amazon, we all have some things to say. And I can imagine that some of you saw the title of this episode and thought, well, they're just going to bash Amazon. And I'm really glad you led with, Sarah, the fact that Amazon is a huge part of my life. I mean, we have Alexas all over my home. We are Prime members and have been for a long time. We use these services and we feel somewhat uncomfortable with some of these services. And I'm more and more becoming aware of Amazon's involvement in things that I never consider as part of what Amazon does. So let's just do some quick facts on Amazon. It had its biggest sales day ever on Cyber Monday. It did not say how much it brought in. 
but it was a lot, the most it ever has on a single day. The best sellers were LOL Surprise Dolls, Keurig Coffee Makers, Oral-B Toothbrushes, Champion Fleece Hoodies, the Echo Dot, and Fire TV Sticks. Amazon controls about 40% of e-commerce in the United States. And like I said, I am learning more about Amazon Web Services, which is a constellation Mm, of server farms around the world that it rents at a low cost for data storage. Apple uses Amazon Web Services, Slack, Netflix, the CIA, and loads of startups store our information on Amazon's servers. I learned a lot about that in a really great article we'll link to in the show notes. The writer, I think, did a week or a month without Amazon, and it sounds like, oh, what a big deal, until she realized that, oh, my gosh, all these websites I use use Amazon Web Service. And, like, the reach of the company and what she could not use was pretty shocking. They have become, and this is what I've really realized as I've tried to be more aware of the ways I'm using Amazon They have become like the place for product searches. People go to Amazon to look for products more than they go to Google. And I do it. I go to look at what product gets the best reviews or just like what's out there available. You know, when I'm just looking for a specific type of product, I'll just go in and put, you know, like I was looking for a bar for our screen because our kids push on the screen and I don't want them to push on the screen because they will break it. Went to Amazon. I think I typed in screen door bar. I don't even remember because I was like, does this thing exist? And of course it did. And I found it by searching on Amazon. Which means that in terms of advertising, Amazon has basically the most valuable data set on earth. So all of that because Amazon's incredibly good at what it does. We've never seen distribution like this before. In 2018, Amazon paid $0 in federal taxes which I knew. What I did not realize is how much the federal government and an increasing number of state and local governments pay out to Amazon, that Amazon is a major government contractor. As you probably know, Jeff Bezos has a net worth estimated at $100 billion, and he does a lot with that money. He owns the Washington Post. He's pledged $2 billion to nonprofits working on homelessness and education. Really good work. And he also has this company called Blue Origin that builds rockets and rovers and other space infrastructure. And he funds that company by selling just a cool billion dollars of Amazon stock every year. His space ambitions are something else. We're going to put an article in the show notes from The Atlantic that you must read about his vision for the future. I am not kidding. It involves like gathering hundreds of thousands of people and relocating them to tubes that connect the earth and the moon where it would feel like you are in Malibu all the time. It's bananas and fascinating and really stimulating to read about how he thinks about the future. Yeah, as I was reading your research for the show and some of these statistics, this one, you know, when I say Amazon has invested $270 million in the United States since 2011, that's a sad pittance. $270 million of a billion-dollar company over almost a decade. Yep. They... I mean, I come the on, same that's thing. like nothing. He divests a billion dollars in stock a year to fund that space venture. And the total investment in the United States since 2011 is $270 million. Come on. They have created more than 400,000 jobs. They are committed to a $15 minimum wage and have pledged to reach net zero carbon emissions by 2040. 
They've also set aside $700 million to retrain a third of U.S. employees for new jobs with new demands as artificial intelligence and automation changes the workforce, especially the warehouse workforce. But it's worth noting that there's been a lot of investigations recently with Amazon fulfillment centers and their injury rate, serious injury for workers, is more than double the national average for warehouse workers. 9.6 injuries per 100 full-time workers. And it seems to be that the introduction of those robots and the artificial intelligence and the automation is really what makes the facilities less safe. And I, I wish they would focus on some of that training now because a lot of the reporting I read and listened to, I listened to from the Reveal podcast, we'll put that link in the show notes, is part of the reason that people are being injured is not just the introduction of the robots, but the lack of training to deal with the changing ways to move about the warehouse and protect their workers' safety. The big issue about that safety is speed. They are trying and they are measured and there is kind of a like a game, but like an evil overlord game, as it's described by Mm -hmm. some workers that measures how fast are you at getting these boxes loaded and shipped out. And I read one person saying, like, without the robots, we at least had a fighting chance. But when the robots are driving that process, you can't stop. You can't let your body react to whatever is going on because they just keep everything moving so quickly. Yeah. In the Reveal podcast, one of the they had a safety manager come on and like disguised his voice and everything. And he was like, some people can do it. We call them industrial athletes. Like, but not everybody is an athlete. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I thought that was pretty shocking. In Amazon's senior leadership team, I think this is a point that connects well to what you just said, which is called the S-Team. There are 17 people who closely manage the company. There are no African-Americans in that group, and there is only one woman, and she runs HR. And I'm not denigrating HR. That is a very important part of my professional career. And also, it is not shocking to me that a company that doesn't have enough women in senior leadership positions has its only one in human resources, and that that probably speaks to some of these issues throughout the workforce. Among the next rung of 48 executives, four of them are women. Jeez, Amazon. Amazon employs more economists than any university in the country, which I think is a fascinating fact. And we all trust Amazon. A 2018 poll found that Amazon inspires greater public confidence than almost any other institution in the United States. I understand why. I click I want it in two days. It comes to my house in two days. Every single time. I have never had a miss with Amazon on anything. Well, I would be interested to see that polling right now. We live in a fast-paced world and a lot of things have changed since 2018. And I would bet good money that those numbers are down. But we're still spending our money in record levels with Amazon despite that. True, true. But I I still think that that the discomfort people feel, even if they continue to use the services, would show up in a poll. And, it you know, behavioral economics exists because we don't make rational decisions with our finances, right? We don't just sit down and look at our values and then respond accordingly. We act illogically and we could have strong emotional reactions to Amazon and still use Amazon. I say that from personal experience. Right, right. (laughs) Now, there's a horrible story about the death of an Amazon worker in Indiana that we'll put in the show notes as well. And you read it and you think, I can never use this company again. It's awful. And also, it is really hard to think about never using Amazon again. And Bezos thinks about 
these issues a lot. There's reporting about how he talks to the senior team about how do we make sure that we are not despised the way other tech companies are? How do we make sure that people don't get too worried about what's going on here? And I don't even mean that in an insidious way. He's just tapped into sort of how do we position ourselves in a way that inspires this trust in the public. He also thinks a lot about customer retention. The whole idea behind Prime, which is brilliant, is that once you sink a cost into a program like that, you're going to get your money's worth by buying all those products to outweigh the calculation on free shipping. And he's thrown in all of these other services, the music and the movies, so you don't really run that math. Or if you try to run that math, it's really hard because what value do you put on being able to watch Amazon's original programming? Along with all the reporting about the impact of Amazon that I think is increasing every day, you have the behind the smiles reporting of Reveal. You have the reporting on the environmental impact. You have reporting on just all the different areas as Amazon grows bigger and bigger that's impacting us. And there's a really interesting reaction and movement that when I read about it, I thought, okay, this is something I want to talk about on the podcast. This feels like there's some direction for all of us to look to who do have concerns about Amazon. Because what I don't want to do is, like you said, I don't want to just complain about Amazon and been like, Amazon's so big, rah, rah, rah. You know, like, I don't want to do that. That's not productive. So there is a new alliance of people. It is called Athena for All, athenaforall.org. And you can go to the website. It's a new alliance of organizations who believe that control over our lives, our communities, and our democracy should be in our hands. Everyone should be able to enjoy the benefits of digital technologies and online commerce without having to sacrifice our rights and liberties, health and planet, or hopes and dreams. But billionaire corporations like Amazon rig the rules so only they can prosper. They threaten our ability to earn a good living and live a good life. We are joining together to stop Amazon's growing powerful grip over our society and economy. We're going to rewrite new rules so that our economy puts people first, our public officials ensure that no corporation is above the law or too big to govern, and that our democracy finally represents all of us. And it's a really interesting alliance of organizations with all kinds of different concerns, but, you know, align community actions, environmental justice, popular democracies, all these different organizations coming together and really trying to focus instead of everybody working at cross purposes. I think it's just one of the most encouraging things I've read. You can sign up for their email and they were talking about, you know, it's like 50 percent of the American public is Amazon Prime members. That's a huge, powerful voting block. And I'm looking forward to them hopefully offering some um, real ways that people concerned about this can take action that doesn't just feel like we're all just looking at the behemoth of Amazon and throwing our hands up in the air. And it's also not that I think Amazon is pure evil. There are some important things that Amazon does. I think Amazon is, is this brilliant vision of distribution on a scale that is hard for me to even comprehend. And any kind of new idea like that, it's sort of like the brilliance of Steve Jobs. It has opened up a world of amazing possibility, just like Amazon has opened up a world of self-publishing and lots of small businesses able to ship their products in ways that they couldn't otherwise. And it also has really destructive downsides that we're, that we're in the middle of trying to figure out how to manage. That's why I feel like Amazon is such an interesting thing to think about, because it's hard to even know what it is, sort of like Facebook. But when you get into Amazon, that question is even bigger. What is this even? 
What are its goals? Do they even know what its goals are? Are the goals just to keep doing everything brilliantly and see where it goes? And also, what does this say about that balance of business and government? Because in my mind, Amazon is almost creating a post-government world. We don't really have regulations that contemplate a business that is a business of everything based on incredibly efficient distribution. You know, I've thought a lot about Amazon and antitrust, and I think there are probably some things that could be done under existing law, but I think a lot of our law just doesn't reach what Amazon does. The the only concrete policy thing that I've been able to think about as we've done the research for this episode is that I I think it would make a lot of sense to have a law that says you cannot be a government contractor if you do not pay the corporate income tax rate in America. That you should have to pay that corporate tax rate if you want to be eligible to bid on doing any work for the government. So I don't think Amazon is pure evil because I don't really believe in evil. But what I do believe in is balance. And Amazon is too big. It's too big. And an absence of laws to deal with Amazon's particular way of being to me means only that we need new laws. Our laws are outdated for our current economy, our current technological revolution. They're certainly woefully lacking when it comes to artificial intelligence. And I think that government is really well suited to giving that balance. I read an article and I can <laughs> sadly cannot find it any longer. I'm I'm going to go back one day and really dedicate myself to pouring through my archives and history and a Facebook page I think I found it on. Anyway, all that to say, it was really good and it talked about in the mid 20th century when you saw a tremendous amount of growth among the middle class. You saw government actively engaging in that balancing act, pulling some of the economy to places of the country that are often forgotten, building up services in places where the market didn't demand it, and and exerting that influence and that balance so that the benefits of the economy worked for all Americans. And that is not possible with weak out dated regulatory infrastructure and a behemoth like Amazon, not even forgetting Google and Facebook. We are out of balance. Sarah and I have talked many times about our desire to age as gracefully as possible, and skincare is a huge piece of that. I spend a lot of time and money thinking about my skin, and I have added Ritual to my routine, which just gives me a lot of comfort. Ritual is here for us. They have created a wrinkle support skin supplement and conducted clinical studies, so we know it's working. They're taking the guesswork out of skincare. Ritual Hyacera is one of several Ritual products that I love. I take the daily multivitamin, I take a probiotic, and Hyacera is that once daily skincare supplement that is clinically proven to reduce wrinkles and fine lines and increase skin smoothness in 90 days. I recently met a friend for the first time in person as opposed to online. And we were discussing the fact that I am 43 and she said, I cannot believe how young you look. And I thought, thank you, Ritual, for that. 
Start Hyacera to help minimize wrinkles without compromising on clean science. Hyacera from Ritual is a clinically proven skin supplement you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash pantsuit. Start Ritual or add Hyacera to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash pantsuit for 25% off. Do you want a bra that's sexy or a bra that's comfortable? Thanks to Third Love, you can have both. Third Love was started to take all the frustration, ick, and ugh out of bra shopping. That's why they make solutions for every bra problem, aka problems. Their bras make it easy to bring back perkiness you haven't seen since high school, get smoothing you know where, and have straps that actually stay put. Designed at their headquarters in San Francisco and made from premium materials, they put every style through hours of wear testing on real women, including themselves, before it's given the stamp of boob approval. Comfort and support are guaranteed. Plus, whether you're a double A cup or an H cup, their virtual fitting room will help you find your perfect fit fast. And they've even invented half cups. No more feeling stuck between two cup sizes that don't fit right. It's time to get your problems solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get 15% off your order with code PODCAST15. There's not much worse than a dry energy scalp. Also, when you get your hair colored and then it does not last as long as you and your stylist discussed, it could be that unfiltered, mineral-filled water is the culprit. Hard water is a leading cause of damaged hair and dry, irritated skin, and about 85% of the United States uses hard water, filled with dissolved minerals and added chlorine. That's where Canopy's new filtered shower head comes in. Canopy, known for their beauty hacks and reimagined humidifier, has revolutionized the filtered shower head. Dermatologists recommended this unique three-stage filtration system greatly reduces contaminants and odors in your shower water, leaving you with healthy hair and glowing skin. Best of all, the Canopy filtered shower head is hassle-free. Installation is a breeze, and its unique quick-release filter replacement feature allows for seamless filter replacement unlike any others on the market. Go to getcanopy.co to save $25 on your Canopy filtered showerhead purchase today with Canopy's hassle-free filter subscription. Even better, our listeners can use code PANTSUIT at checkout to save an additional 10% off your Canopy purchase. Hurry, your hair and skin will thank you. I have some agreement with what you said, and I have some questions and a little bit of pushback. Because in some ways, government helps create these way too big monsters, right? We are, we are pouring a lot of money in and toward Amazon. Our corporations are contributing to our politics. They're just doing it in the worst possible way by funding campaigns instead of paying dollars in that are actually used to serve everybody. In some ways, some of the behemoth corporations are the most democratizing forces we have. We can hate on Walmart all day, and Walmart is also how a lot of people who otherwise could not sustain a decent standard of living do. Amazon reaches, you know, rural communities more effectively than a lot of government services do. And so I don't know, you know, part of the reason Amazon has been so successful despite his unconventional and sometimes eye-rolly style, Jeff Bezos is really on to something in terms of leadership, is that Amazon does things in uncompromised ways. We have an idea, we've proven it out, we've vetted it, 
all right, we're we're off to the races. And the people who really love working at Amazon talk about how there's not a lot of bureaucracy that gets in their way. They're going to do something and they're going to do it. Foot on the pedal, let's go. That leads to some of the problems that we've been talking about. But it also is a fun and innovative environment to work in. And that is the opposite of government. And it should be. I think government sometimes does things in too compromised a way because everything is about little trade-offs and negotiations. But some of that really serves us because government has the capacity to be such an unchecked force in our society as well. And so I guess I just look at Amazon and look at the state of our government and wonder how this can be brought back into balance without using the word back, because I don't know that we've had a version of coexistence between government and business that really could meet these demands. And I think the future vision is going to have to be a little bit different and is going to have to maybe be a little bit more global instead of so territorial. I'm frustrated, for example, that President Trump is talking about tariffs on French cheese and champagne because France is talking about taxation and penalties toward U.S. tech companies. Because I think, gosh, like, so these tech companies like Amazon, Facebook, Google, who don't put anything into our federal treasury, get our defense on the global stage in this way. That doesn't make any sense to me. And what does it really mean to be an American company when so much of your business is in China and India and all throughout the world and you're not paying taxes here? I don't know. I just feel like I don't have an answer to this, but I think we need some really innovative minds on the policy side considering how does government start to balance out some of this force given that so many governments are impacted by it? I don't know. I don't think that it's necessarily we need innovation. I think you see in the 60s a dramatic amount of innovation. You see a dramatic amount of corporate growth and innovative new industries. And you see government taking an active role With regulations, you see a powerful labor movement that struck a balance where though that growth trickled down to a lot of Americans. We still had powerful forces at play with racism and sexism and huge portions of the population got left out. There's no doubt about that. But with regards to socioeconomic groups, you did see the middle class and even the lower middle class benefiting from that growth in ways that are just simply not present now. They are not present. What do we do, though, given how many businesses span beyond, here's the thing that we make or the service that we provide? You know, I think a lot of the struggle with banking that led to the the collapse of the economy in 2008 was that banks were becoming something other than just banks. Banks had gotten a really broad portfolio of financial services, some that just truly wandered into the territory of gambling. If if you could not say that they are fully there, I think you probably could. So I think we struggle to regulate when things sort of outgrow a particular box. I don't know who's responsible for regulating Jeff Bezos building space 
exploration vehicles. I don't know who's responsible for regulating Elon Musk putting satellites up into space to provide the world with internet service. I just feel like we're we're seeing business morph into something that is more expansive than any challenge that we've tried to regulate so far. It's not that I don't think that there there is a way to do it. I just think it's not a way that we've tried before. I don't know. I feel like, you know, the transnational railroad probably felt pretty big and expansive. And we let it get too big and they stomped all over entire communities and their workers. And we stepped up and said, it's too much. It's too big. I know it seems like they've invented this whole new way of being, but we have to regulate it. And they were involved in infrastructure in ways that was innovative and important. And we still figured it out. We still said, no, this isn't going to work. We appreciate your industry's innovation. We appreciate your investment in the railway. We got to do something about this because you're stomping all over everything. And you know, I feel that way about Amazon. I under it's not that it's all negative. It's too big. It's too big. And when something is that big, there has to be a balancing force. You know, the the stories particularly of the the death of the worker in Indiana and the way the state government was just complicit. It was the, the fawning over Amazon. I mean, it really does. It sounds like the ways they bent over backwards for the railroad barons, you know, and it's just we can't we have lessons in history that I think can help us lead the way that can help show us we don't have to reinvent the wheel here. We have options available to us that would hopefully keep most of the benefits of what Amazon has built, but allow those benefits to spread more evenly across the country and the population. Let's wrap up today by sharing some of your Thanksgiving stories. So hopefully you all had interesting conversations about things other than impeachment around your Thanksgiving tables. We ask, though, how did those political conversations go? And some of what you shared is so moving. You know, we spent so many weeks and I felt like I don't know about you, Beth, but I felt like the the amount of political conversation around Thanksgiving table content was off the charts this year, off the charts. I feel like every show I turn to, every website, every podcast, and then, of course, our own show. It's like what everybody was talking about. And then it just dissipates. And it's like, well, Thanksgiving's over, even though we have another major holiday coming up for much of the population. And I feel like treating it transactionally is is really not what we try to do here. And we we always say, hey, this is a long game. We want to keep having these conversations. And so instead of just always laying down this this burdensome, come on, you guys, we can do it. I thought, hey, we've got to we've got to experience some of the good emotional payoff. And usually Beth and I just read these emails and cry. <laughs> At least I do. And so we thought we would share them with you so you can cry along with us and feel warmed and feel empowered by what you guys are out there doing with your own families. We heard from a listener who has to be anonymous because her youngest brother just joined the Navy SEALs. And so their family talked about the situation with Eddie Gallagher. And she said the takeaways were his behavior wasn't particularly surprising. There may have been some overzealous prosecution and the president didn't need to get himself involved. That is a really 
nuanced, reasonable take, right? I agree with with all that. (laughs) Absolutely. And she said, as the president chose to go to Afghanistan over the weekend and make another political statement, please remind the listening community that there are young men and women who are still in harm's way. My brother will spend Christmas overseas. Our military continues to work to build relationships and inroads in an unstable region. I wish NGOs, non-governmental organizations, could do it all to build the relationships and change the world over there. I don't know what it will take, honestly, and now I have Ken in the game. And I so appreciated that reminder and that message. And I'm so happy to hear that that family reached those conclusions. Well, and what a blessing to have somebody there with really firsthand perspective in that particular controversy um, arena, being a Navy SEAL himself. Mm -hmm. And I just love that they were like, hey, what do you think, since this is really your area of the world? We also had Chelsea reach out to us. Her and her brother also had a very intense conversation. They had had a very big falling out two years ago. Specifically, they were talking about the way Trump speaks of women and how that triggered Chelsea as a survivor of violent sexual assault. She says, we have rarely seen each other since. It's been just horribly painful and isolating, especially as part of a family who would rather ignore the elephant in the room at all cost. When I'm an Enneagram 8 and feel like my skin is on fire when I can't speak truth to power or relieve myself of tension. She says, I no joke listened to last Tuesday's episode five times, took notes, and practiced speaking out loud to myself in the mirror using your tactics. It was hard and it was emotional, and it makes me fill up with the proudest of tears to report that following a no joke, four-hour, incredibly intense, dynamic discussion, my brother and I were able to truly listen openly, find common ground and empathy, and I received a long-awaited apology. She says, we are on a path toward healing our relationship. It ended with all of us in tears, the most grateful of which most likely came from my parents. After so much pain and time lost, it was the most surreal thing to have my parents crying as they did this silly tradition our family had as kids, chanting, we are proud of you over our heads as we hugged in amends. My dad said it was a Thanksgiving miracle. That makes me cry so hard. I mean, look, I know some people here like four hour incredibly intense dynamic discussion and it makes your stomach hurt. And I get that. But sometimes that's what's called for. And I just love so much that they, you know, after two years of not talking, it's not going to wrap up in 30 minutes where everybody feels heard and everybody feels forgiven and everybody feels just embraced again. And so I, I just love so much that Chelsea and her family We're able to stick it out with each other and listen and be empathetic. And whatever, you know, small part the conversations we've had here played in that, I'm just so grateful. On a much lighter note, another listener had a political moment playing apples to apples, which I love. I'm here for any word games. And the word was arrogant. And a 16-year-old around the table responded with Republicans out loud amidst the extended family, which is very Republican, she said. And they talked about how... We don't talk like that. And nobody overreacted. And the family allowed our listener to really steer this conversation. And I bet that 16-year-old will remember that for a long time. And more than that, I hope all the adults around the table took some wisdom from her saying, whoever we are, whatever we think, we don't, we don't characterize each other in those terms with such a broad brush. Well done. And also, was the 16-year-old being honest in that moment? I don't know. I just Keep it nuanced, Sarah. <laughs> oh, it's so good, though. I just want to be like, I just want to hug him and be like, you're right. You're right. 
No, just kidding. Uh, this is my other. This is this one was I loved it so much. I loved it so deeply, and not just because it involved Dolly Parton. Amy wrote us and said she had the most amazing conversation with her mom and her sister. It started off because they were talking about the all women kickoff to the Country Music Awards, and that it was it was Dolly Parton and Carrie Underwood and Reba McIntyre. But the first jokes they made were about wardrobes and boobs. Because Dolly was there. And so she really disliked that part. But her sister stood by Dolly and said, you got to tell the joke so it's out of the way. And her sister, who works in engineering, felt strongly that you sort of have to claim your power in an environment that could arguably be hostile to women. Whereas our listener, Amy, who works in the female-dominated field of advertising, felt like you should have that power when you enter the room and not have to claim it. But they ended the conversation sort of using brakes and, and gas and that, you know, those are different environments and they have different perspectives. And so you have to have both, which I thought was so beautiful. And she said, my dad has said he learned more about women's experience observing that combo than anything else he's ever heard. I just I love all. I really wanted to be in that conversation, honestly. I would like to have that conversation with Amy and her sister and her I mom. feel like we've had that conversation. I was going to say, like, Amy, is your uh-huh. sister named Beth? Because uh-huh. I'm like, not an engineer, but I so relate to that perspective. And I do feel like that's a tension in a lot of our discussions. So love it. The dad who listened to that. So oh, bless. Bravo, dad. Well, and listen. For all our Mad Men friends out of, out there in the universe, my favorite television show of all time, that is like Joan and Peggy. Like you could have a whole – forget like Dolly who you could absolutely have this conversation surrounding and may I recommend Dolly Parton's America. Also, like that is like a through line of Mad Men with Joan and Peggy and their different approaches and it's just endlessly fascinating to me. Well, so we don't want to leave the impression that every conversation ends as beautifully as these did. One listener shared, my dad and I had a long conversation. I'm glad that we talked, but it did not go as well as I'd hoped. We live in alternate realities. It was so hard to find common ground when we could not agree on the basic facts of what is happening. Mm. And I think this is so much the experience people are having out there. I don't know how to continue the conversation without sending him a laundry list of articles to read to correct all the misinformation he cited. What do you think is the best way to continue the dialogue? Oh, I think your advice always to narrate what's happening. I think, you know, taking some time and the next time you come together saying, hey, the last time we had a conversation, it felt like we lived on different planets. Did you feel that way? That we couldn't even agree on the basic facts of what was happening would be a great way to open it back up again. And also, do you think that I intend to get false information? I don't think that you Mm -hmm. intend to get false information. Mm -hmm. Aren't we both trying to find out what's really going on? So could we together for the next week agree to read this source together or you pick one for me and I'll pick one for you and let's come back together and talk about it. But I don't think that you're interested in a bunch of lies and I hope you don't think I am either. So keep at it, you guys. Listen to the testimonies back from the other side, both good and somewhat discouraging. I'm just... I'm so proud of all of us. I'm this just so proud of us. This is the work of democracy. It's so beautiful. It just makes me want to cry. I love it so much. We'll be back with you on Tuesday to discuss more of what's going on in the world. Thank you for giving us your time every week. It means a lot to us that you trust us with your attention, your most precious commodity. Keep it nuanced, y'all. Dylan Garvin produces Pantsuit Politics every week. 
Thanks for making us sound better, Dylan. Elise Knapp is our managing director, which means we could not make it without her scheduling, organization, feedback, and creativity. Thank you, Elise. We couldn't make Pantsuit Politics without support from our listeners. Go to patreon.com slash pantsuitpolitics to learn how you can receive more nuance and help us make the show. Special thanks to our executive producers who have committed to supporting us in a major life-giving way. Our executive producers are Tracy Putoff, Tim Miller, David McWilliams, Joshua Allen, Linda Rucker, Martha Bernatsky, Melanie Cravey, and Tiffany Hassler. Our theme music is composed and performed by Dante Lima. The music under our ads is composed and performed by Dylan Garvin. Learn more about our lives, live events that we're involved in, and what we're reading each week by signing up for our weekly newsletter at pantsuitpoliticsshow.com. And connect with members of the Pantsuit Politics community by following us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter.